Hello, everybody. You are listening to The Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast. This is episode 30 for Wednesday, the 15th of July, 2020. Privacy? Gotta earn it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. My name is Fab, as usual, coming to you from Hamburg, just off runway 33 of Hamburg International Airport, from my home studio um, on a Wednesday afternoon. And I'm sincerely hoping you have a better time than me at the moment. Um, it's been it's been all head over here, heels over here. Um, got just tons to do at work. Then you know, upcoming move. Um, first preparations for that. Just lots to do. And then I was really happy because um, you know my dad and me have been planning. We do this motorbike tour every year, pretty much. And uh, this is this for this year. We had planned to go to Norway. Uh, of course, that was all off because of the coronavirus situation. Uh, but now the happy news came in that um, the borders are open and we can do our trip, you know, which is all planned. All the hotels are booked and everything. And um, I was like, okay, uh, so it's about a month off. I was like, I better get, you know, train my uh, my good old leather, leather ass here and uh, get some kilometers in on the goods here, right? And <laughs> so on Monday... Um, I do like a, I did like a tour, and I come back, and um, bike starts making very uh, concerning noises, and I actually couldn't drive it to the to the uh, to the garage, and had to had to get it, you know, have it basically towed to the garage, and it turns out the gearbox has disintegrated into dust um, because you know the bike's now got seventy thousand kilometers on her, and I guess that's when a good C gearbox decides to just pack it in uh it's gonna be really expensive to fix it but you know the, the real the real problem is i don't know if i can actually fix it before the tour so that's uh i'm a bit down on that thing and then i'm also a bit down generally uh for my work but we'll we'll talk about that one of the reasons uh, we actually talk about that on the on the show later um but the main topic today i want to talk about the earn it act uh, which is something I'd had on the docket here to talk about for quite a while, and then you know, few weeks and this and that, just uh, as you know, um, prompted other episodes, and so it's not really breaking news. It's been in the news for ages, but I think it's important. I think we need to talk about it, so I will do that today. And then after that, I want to quickly talk a little bit again about the coronavirus app here in Germany. I I know I I didn't I, I was done with the topic. But uh, there was some some things said on another podcast that I have to address, and you know might as well because I mean I'd, I'd kind of um, the actual thing I'm going to talk about I'd actually kind of put that behind me, but it's still annoying, so I might as well talk about that here. And then we got a ton of producer feedback, um, as is kind of becoming the norm now with the podcast. I guess getting more popular and people listening and people. Uh, me saying I want feedback every episode. So yeah, um, we're up to episode 30 now, which is kind of amazing. And speaking of the feedback, um, and you know, as usual, uh, copious show notes are available, privatecitizen.press. It's a contact link there in the feedback section. Also in the page footer, um, it links to a page on my blog, uh, fab.industries slash contact, where you can, um, there's various means of contacting me and please do so. Um, if you got any information on anything, 
um, that I'm talking about here on or off the record, I would like to know. Um, it improves the show for everybody. If you got comments, if I get something wrong, please tell me. Um, you know, I if you don't want to be mentioned, uh, just specify that. However, you contact me. There's anonymous ways to contact me, so that we get that right. And yeah. And with that out of the way, let's let's dive into our first topic. I would say um, because that's that's what we're all here for. Uh, and the first topic we're going to talk about today is the Earn It Act. The oh god, what did that stand for again? I had written it down here somewhere. Um, the Eliminating Abusive and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies Act. Uh, fucking backronyms, you know. American legislature loves their backronyms for some reason. Doesn't mix better press or something. I don't know. Um, but before we got into what this act does, uh, we quickly quickly need to talk about Section Two Thirty. Um, you probably read about this, heard about this in the news, especially when you're from the US. Oh yeah, uh, before we get into it, of course, this is a US-centric topic. This is US legislation, but it's nonetheless completely important to all of us uh, because as it stands, the uh, you know most of the infrastructure, internet infrastructure, the platforms we're talking about, about here, service providers, social networks, they're all in the US they're, or they're headquartered in the US. Uh, one way or another, they're subject to uh, US laws. And so that kind of regulates the whole world, right? Because these companies need to comply with US laws and they're basically kind of doing the same thing uh, all over the world. Also, uh, because of this uh, laws in, in, in different countries, you know, if you're in a country like me, if you're in Germany or in the UK, they usually tend to, uh, after a while, kind of um, orient themselves after US law. And so it, it homogenizes the whole legislation all around the world but anyway this is completely important for all of us so um yeah just having said that in the beginning so that you don't tune off because you're like i'm not in the us what do i care um so section 230 of or also uh yeah well section 230 of the communication decent communications decency act of 1996 uh which is codified in uh what's what's that uh, article 40 is that yeah article 47 usc section 230 um it is. This is what is what what people usually refer to as as a safe harbor provision. Uh, this was put in in 1996 when the internet was really young, and it has basically this law has allowed the internet as we know it and all the services we use daily today and all this technology we depend on to develop. Um, so what this. Um, act basically says is you know if you what if you if the, you know think back and think yourself back to you know the the mid 90s 1996 and the internet is just becoming mainstream and you know people are starting to actually use it and if you look at the internet from the view of a legislator or just a you know a person or private citizen uh, back then you you'd think that you know service providers such as you know social networks which didn't really exist back then but you know we're talking like forum uh, websites right forum providers um search engines social networks sites like that you could think of them as publishing companies if you come from a traditional mindset you'd think of them as publishing companies now if they were treated like publishing companies then if they published something 
and somebody that was against the law or somebody uh, took offense to that and brought a civil suit, then the uh, publishing company would be liable. Right. So if I write, uh, that's why you have an editorial process. If I write a story uh, for CT or for Heiser Online or for, you know, Golem or for Der Spiegel and or any other publication, they, you know, they have an editorial process and they check that. And one of the reasons is that they are liable uh, as well as I am, but they're liable for having published this, right? If there's something wrong in the story or some somebody takes offense of it, um, they, they are liable. Now, the uh, Section 230 provides what is called a safe harbor and kind of specifies that if internet service providers do not use editorial over like don't have an editorial process if you as you know if you have as a user can just sign up post something and it gets published right away let's say a forum you know which we had in 1996 i actually don't know i joined the internet in 98 that was when my parents got the internet because they waited for isdn they didn't want to interrupt the phone line when i was on the internet uh, but you know back then we used a lot of forums and uh, if you write something and it gets published right away so there's nobody at the site looking at it like, you know, if you'd run a publication on the internet, if you ran a WordPress blog with several authors and then you read what they uh, have sent you and you just push the publishing button, right? That's an editorial process. If you don't have that and if people can just publish things on your site under this provision, under the safe harbor, you as the service provider are not liable. Um, if somebody posts something on their illegal or if it, it, libelous or somebody wants to bring a civil suit or whatever, um, they have to bring that suit against that person, which I think is totally reasonable um, because, you know, you can't check everything as a provider and it makes no sense. I mean, um, I'm generally like in other places in, the, in, you know, it's different if it's, uh, if it, if they do editorial stuff, right? Um, sure. That's like a publication that should be treated like a publication. But, you know, if, if I'm in a, um, if I'm in a pub right here in Germany and I, and I, for example, I could, you know, uh, shout like one of these things that, you know, under German law, you, that, that would be illegal, you know, then you're not allowed to shout, you know, uh, stuff with the third, third, third Reich or something like that, right? It would be as if somebody could sue the pub because I was in the pub when I did this at the time, which makes no absolute that makes no sense whatsoever. You know, I am responsible for what I say and I should be held accountable, not like the person whose premises I was in at the time, generally. I mean, of, there could be different, uh, you know, you could think of, of, of different things, but like in, in this example, uh, that would make no sense. And this is kind of the same thing. Um, and also, it's not a good idea if the service provider has to check everything um, because that, puts a chilling effect that hampers free speech, which we actually see now these days when sites like Twitter actually have to look at stuff and they have to scan stuff with algorithms and the algorithms to make mistakes and shit like that. Um, but I really don't want to get into the free speech argument here, which, you know, a lot of this Section 230 thing is about free, free speech, uh, but that's not our topic today. Uh, suffice it to say that actually um, this legislation um, actually... Um, It reinforces free speech because to to get this safe harbor uh, 
protection under this section 230, the provider kind of needs to enable or, you know, actively protect free speech. They, because if this, you know, if, if I run a forum, right, under this, under the law as it was originally written, if I run a forum and let's say I'm, I'm Republican, nobody would think I'm a Democrat. So I'm a Republican, right? And I run this forum and there's like people on the forum and they write stuff that I don't think is right. And that looks like de Democrat perspective or whatever. And I just start censoring that. And I don't censor whatever like the Republican people say. I just censor the, the, the stuff that sounds Democrat to me. In this case, I'm actually, you know, I'm censoring people. I'm, 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 um, kind of harming their their right for free speech and i've actually one could argue you know lawyers would argue in this case obviously i'm not a lawyer and think you know if you probably but not even need to say that but you know just in case you were you were uh mistake you were you were confused on this i am not a lawyer i repeat i am not a lawyer um so a lawyer could construe that as as an editorial process, and then in, that, in this case, you would lose your safe harbor provisions, and you could then actually be held accountable for censoring this or whatever. Um, now, this is legislation from the very early days of the internet. It it has enabled the growth of platforms such as Facebook, Twitter, basically everything. Um, people often argue that it protects these big providers, but you know that's not really it does. But it's only part of the story. It also protects you and your blog. If you have a comment section on your blog, without this, without this safe harbor, people could hold you accountable. Like, you know, you have a blog, you write like innocent things. Let's say I write about bread making. And then some nut job comes in and starts shouting stuff that in Germany would actually, or yeah, let's stay with the US. That would be illegal. Like it starts posting, I don't know. Does stuff that is clearly illegal, right? You could be held accountable for that without this section two thirty. With section two thirty, the guy, the 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 person is accountable on their own, which I think is as it should be, as I said before. Anyway, so it protects everybody, but it kind of gets construed as it, you know, it helps Twitter and and Google and people like that, especially um, when it comes to copyright and things. Um, so this section 330 has been modified over the years and it's always, especially with copyright, it's actually been modified so that it doesn't actually protect, that you actually need to do copyright checks and stuff like that. But people always, politicians always want to get rid of this or change this legislation somehow. And, um, in the beginning of 2020, that, you know, since the beginning of 2020, there's new moves to do this. And always over the last, decades it's always been under the guise of you know uh, the righteous fight against child pornography and against terrorism or something like that that's always the example right? um so which which actually why that is a reason to modify section 230 uh, 230 i've never understood because you, the person is always accountable, right? If you post child porn somewhere on a service, you're accountable. 
Always. That has not changed. The per if, if there's something illegal going on, or you, you know, you can bring a civil suit. You can sue the person. The thing is you need to you have to find out who they are and all of that. But you know, if it's child porn, you can go to the provider and you know the government can legally compel them, the police can legally compel them to give out what information they have. Um, now people always want to go after they always say that one, okay, it's child porn and they're running a service and the service provider knows uh, that something illegal is going on, so they're profiting of that, and they want to go after those people. Um, I can kind of understand that impulse, and that is a valid thing to do. But you know, you get into this problem where if you do that, and if you if you want to demolish this uh, safe harbor, you have all these unintended or maybe intended, who knows, uh, consequences, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So the Earned Act. Um, you know, under the under the guise once again, uh, mostly of fighting child porn, wants to change the things. Um, so that's Senate Bill thirty three ninety eight. There's actually I have links in the show notes as I've said. You can read it all up for yourself. Um, this is one of my motivations of doing this podcast. I want that people to get to you know research stuff for themselves, read for themselves, think for themselves. Um, but as far as I see it. The purpose of this bill is to, you know, walk back some of the protections. Now, the problem with that is that if the language, especially in the original draft, which has since been changed because I'm uh, behind covering the story, uh, but let's talk about what's currently on the table. Uh, But anyway, it it just makes it sound like um, some of this makes it sound like end-to-end encryption would be in danger because of that. It sounds like the U.S. government kind of wants to backdoor effective cryptography. And that, of course, calls to mind the crypto wars of the 90s and all of that, clipper chip and all these things. Um, So the problem here is that if you have end-to-end encryption and it works as it should, um, let's go away from things like Facebook and let's go to messages like WhatsApp or whatever. Um, they are also under this safe harbor provision. They don't editorialize what you, you know, they have no editorial process for the text, the, the message you send, like your wife, let's say. Um, you can post whatever you want. Now, enter end encryption, if done properly, uh, means that if I send a message to my wife, um, I can read it and she can read it. And nobody else can. Nobody in the middle. So the servers, the service provider can't read what I'm writing. Now, if you want to change the uh, the the safe harbor provisions in such a way that service provider actually needs to check that there's not child pornography, for example, being sent, then they obviously can't do that under end-to-end encryption. So one thing you could say in the bill would be, you know, if it's end-to-end encrypted, all bets are off. The service provider can't look into it that's the point of no end-to-end encryption so they are once again you know protected under the safe harbor they can't look into it there's a good reason that it's end-to-end encrypted it's not their um they're not responsible for that but they're not doing that so if you now pass a law let's say you know where a provider needs to check every image you put in there um against the known database of child pornography uh, images, which is actually something that is happening right now uh, with services, and that is done. There's there's like software for that that exists. Um, then you can't do that with end-to-end encryption. So that would be, you know, that, that 
the, 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 the service provider can't police the content user sub- submits if it's end-to-end encrypted. So there are no, to, to comply with the law, um, there are now only two possibilities for the service provider. A, they can backdoor the encryption or they can just get rid of end-to-end encryption on their service at all, which both would be a, a huge problem. Um, for privacy, I mean, we had a privacy show here. Um, I don't think I need to get into really deeply why that would be a problem. But generally, no end-to-end encryption means you know not only a provider can read it, it intelligence services and you know hackers, everybody has access to that server legally or not can read it. We don't want that. Uh, it's clear to us that we don't want that. Um, and the the backdoor thing is almost as as bad. So that would work in a way that. Um, so if I'm WhatsApp, for example, we're talking WhatsApp, end-to-end encrypted messenger, everything that goes over there is end-to-end encrypted. They can't read it on the service. So what they would have to do is build a code into their app where if I send a message before it gets encrypted or if I send a picture before it gets encrypted, uh, WhatsApp would check that against a database or would even send it to their servers, whatever. The problem is that completely negates the reason for end-to-end encryption uh, because... A, the government could compel access to this backdoor somehow, uh, or you know, hackers that get into their system could do that as well. Um, if you have that ability, if you have the ability to read the message before you end-to-end encrypt it, then or after it's been received, then there's no reason for the end-to-end encryption. Period. So it's bad. Um, now it's, it sounds like kind of that this is what the earn it act, uh, wants to do, even though the guys who are doing it say they don't let's listen to the EFF, the electronic frontier foundation. Now they kind of, um, explain this. Just having a sip of Earl Grey before I read that. It's one of these days where I really could do with alcohol, but I've got still a lot of shit to do after this podcast, so I can't really. <laughs> so, the EFF says, um, The day before a committee debate and vote on the Earned Act that's already been gone, uh, the bill sponsors replaced their bill with an amended version. Here's the new idea. Instead of giving a 19-person federal commission dominated by law enforcement the power to regulate the internet, the bill now effectively gives that power to state legislatures. And instead of requiring that internet websites and platforms comply with the commission's best practices in order to keep their vital legal protections under section 230 for hosting user content, it simply blows a hole in in those protections. State lawmakers will be able to create new laws allowing private lawsuits and criminal prosecution against internet platforms as long as they say their purpose is to stop crimes against children. So basically uh, what, what what has happened here is um, that, you know, there, there, there was supposed to be like this commission which was mostly filled with law enforcement. Now, law enforcement is the they're always pushing this. There was in the crypto world that were pushing this law enforcement intelligence agencies. They're the one who have an interest in backdooring or outlawing encryption because it makes their job easier. Um, you know, if you can just read everything everybody's writing, you know, it just, you know, you don't have to actually do the legwork when you do an investigation. It's, 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 it's really easy. Um, now I've always been somebody that said their job isn't impossible, uh, when they can't read this and it never was. Uh, so, you know, that should just put the work in. 
And if they need more money and more people, give them more money and more people. At least the law enforcement. I don't want the intelligence services to have more money and more people because I don't think what they do is in in the best interest of a democracy. But, you know, that's a whole different discussion. Um, uh, and then uh, the EFF continues. Oh, oh, one thing. Yeah. So what they've done is they replaced this commission now and it's now going to be state legislature. The problem with this is, of course, the U.S. federal system is kind of like Germany, but different. Um the problem there is, um, so if you, if you have like what, 52 states in the US, uh, I've, I've been watching to get out of this mood and my, my, uh, my kind of uh, being down on my job and everything. I've just been escaping into different worlds. I've been uh, playing Red Dead Redemption and uh, watching a, uh, television series called Hell on Wheels. So I don't really know how many states the US has anymore because I'm living in 1856 or something. <laughs> it's just, uh, it was, was it 66, 1866. Um, and the flag looks different, whatever. Um, anyway, uh, so I don't, yeah, but you have all these states. Just if one state goes and says, you know, we pass a law, Facebook has to do this, right? Then Facebook has to do that. And, you know, if the Alabama does that, you know, they're not going to have like special data centers and special service and special whatever just for Alabama, right? They're just going to say, okay, we'll just do it for the US, right? If, 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 uh, if California outlaws encryption, uh, or Texas or Missouri or whoever, um, if one state just goes and outlaws, uh, in- encryption, then that's, then that's that. Then they'll just get rid of the end to end encryption. That's that's just how easy. That's just how it works. So, kind of saying, um, you know, we push that to the states. It solves the problem. Doesn't solve the problem. Anyway, the EFF goes on. When we say the original earnit was a threat to encryption, we're not guessing. We know that a commission controlled by Attorney General William Barr will try to ban encryption because Barr has said many times that he thinks encrypted services should be compelled to create backdoors for police. True, said that. The manager's amendment approved by the committee today doesn't eliminate this problem. It just empowers over 50 jurisdictions to follow bar. They also don't know how many states the US has to follow bar's lead in banning encryption. Um, actually, I don't like this whole, uh, this is a bit, you know, the EFF obviously being, uh, being left leaning. This is kind of, ah, uh, bar is Trump's guy and this, this makes a bit of partisanship. I mean, yes, it's bar in this case, but I mean, look through. Look through the history of encryption since the 90s, you know, read through the crypto wars, everything that happened after. I mean, this is stuff that's been pushed by presidents and justice departments on both the sides of the political aisle. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. This is just what intelligence services and, and, and you know, and... Uh, law enforcement people want and it's kind of your job if you're like the head of the justice department whatever to make law enforcement's job easier i don't you know i don't begrudge bar or anybody else saying we need to backdoor encryption i'm not of that opinion you know we should i don't think we should do it um but you know they'll they'll always say that you know we just have to fight back um and then the uh eff talks a bit about about the amendment um, and it's basically saying, uh, Senator Leahy's amendment, Leahy's uh, amendment, I think that's his name, uh, prohibits holding, I hope I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> uh, he is a Democrat from VT. What's VT? That's not, not Virginia, is it? Uh, I have to look that up. 
Vici Vermont. Oh, of course, he's from Vermont. Uh, so, um, he has proposed an amendment. Um, Senator Leahy's amendment prohibits holding companies liable because they use, quote, end-to-end -end encryption or device encryption or other encryption services. But the bill still encourages state lawmakers to look for loopholes to undermine end-to-end -end encryption, such as demanding that messages be scanned on a local device before they get encrypted and sent along to, to their recipient. Uh, you know, I've said why that is completely insane and doesn't make any sense. Uh, then you can just get rid of the encryption at all. So the EFF is saying still opens the door, you know, to weaken um, encryption. I just think um, we don't need any of that. Uh, you know, child, child pornography, all that shit is already illegal. Uh, it's been, you know, it's a big job of the FBI and other law enforcement agencies to uh, hunt these people, to find them, and they regularly do. Um, and uh, I just don't think, I, I don't know if it's like, you know, we have this case in Germany right now with the, the cyber bunker thing where they, that that was obviously a data center that, that you know, as far as anybody can tell, just targeted their services to criminals. And they knew there was illegal stuff hosted. And they have kind of the same defense where they're like, ah, you know, we didn't we didn't know. Um and so one of the big things the German government that are prosecuting these people are actually trying to do is they're trying to prove that these people knew and actually felicitate uh, facilitated actively um you know, to have criminals as, as their uh, customers. And I just don't know if that's, if that's really necessary. Uh, you know, if that happens, of course, I want these people to go to jail. But the problem is if you have legislation like here that, that is targeted against that, you have so much collateral damage, right? All of end to end encryption is like, like collateral damage. You don't want that. Uh, my question is, can't you like, won't these people have like some stuff on their own systems? I mean, people who run a fucking data center for, for organized criminals are not, you know, for organized crime and like pedophiles and stuff. They're not clean right? They'll have bought some weapons or drugs, or maybe they even have child porn on their systems. You'll find something and you can stick it on them and just, you know, maybe make those, make the punishments for those things worse. Or something. I don't know. It just seems to me like this is not the right way to go. And then SEFF, they point out, you know, it's just one state that does it and then they kick off a wave and the companies have to, um, adhere to it anyway and then it's basically just giving the states the power to create laws that it's not the federal government but it's in effect pretty much all over the US um, they conclude here and say the build sponsors simply drop the earn from earn it website owners especially those that enable encryption just can't earn the immunity from liability for user content under the new bill. They'll just have to defend themselves in court as soon as a single state prosecutor, even just a lawyer in private practice, decides that offering end-to-end -end encryption was a sign of indifference towards crimes and against children. And, you know, EFF is an advocacy organization, so you have to take what they say with a grain of salt. They obviously have an agenda and they have said things in the past that I don't agree with, but this is, I mean, this is, this is, we know this is going to happen, right? We know this. Um, 
that that has also been the argument for for years and probably decades against strong encryption and against end-to-end encryption from law enforcement and from state attorneys and stuff like that where they say basically this helps criminals we can't have this and it's just a tool right that's like a hammer you know you people people break into places with hammers they kill other people with hammers but we also need them to put like fucking nails in the wall and we can't just go and outlaw hammers and it's you know i I, the older i get the more i feel maybe we'll talk about this in the feedback a bit as well but like the 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 more i feel about this with everything it's the same with guns right the the guns aren't inherently evil i mean the state uses them to enforce law and order Uh, so i mean there's a there's an argument to have uh you know a state monopoly on guns maybe but you know I don't know. Should the state have a monop? Like, should should you only be able to use end-to-end encryption if you uh, if you work for the state or if you? I don't know. That's just that generally doesn't work. I feel like it even doesn't work with guns so much, so well. But you know, it's a it's a different uh, story. But anyway, um, during the whole COVID nineteen chaos, of course, this bill. Uh, it looks like this bill will pass. Uh, it has now uh, been voted. The Senate Judiciary Committee has voted to approve the bill. Um, I think they that, that means it went through committee and then they have to actually vote on it. And then the president has to sign it into law. I think that's how it works. Uh, but, you know, it seems like it's going through as usual. Um, I mean, I've, I think I've said this very early on. It was clear to me that this COVID problem and the pandemic would be used to do things like this. It's like the Patriot Act in the wake of 9-11. That's always when you pass laws like this. And um, people have other problems and they don't have the energy to fight that as well. So uh, this law was... uh, I mean, it is actually bipartisan. It it was initiated by Senator Lindsey Graham, who is a Republican from South Carolina, and then Richard Blumenthal, who is a Democrat from CD, Connecticut, I think. Um, yeah, that's a bit modeled on an earlier, the Foster, the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act from 2018. And, um, yeah, as we know, lots of problems, uh, in the act, but the problem here is, is just, you know, I'm, I'm reading. So this is a, this is a story on this passing, uh, from The Verge where they say, but throughout Thursday's hearing, lawmakers suggested that the Earn It Act was not a sneak attempt to weaken encryption on platforms. No, of course not. Quote, this bill is not about encryption. It will never be. Bloomtall, Bloomtall, a co-sponsor said Thursday. Graham also said that, and get this, his goal here is not to outlaw encryption. That will be a debate for another day. Dot, dot, dot. I mean, Jesus Christ. Basically says that he wants to outlaw encryption. Crap. Uh, uh, You know, the Republicans. (laughs) Um, The new version of the bill voted on Thursday weakens language that could force companies to create encryption backdoors for law enforcement. Senator Patrick Leahy, we talked about that, filed an amendment to the bill that would exclude encryption as something that could heighten liability for platforms. It was approved and incorporated into the measure that now faces a floor vote. But as DFF says, that doesn't really... I don't don't know why they want to change that. Why they want to... I know why they want to do it. I think, you know, why why are people voting for this? Um... I don't understand that. I don't generally, I don't understand why politicians are 
um, so friendly to law enforcement in these kind of things. I mean, a bit of thing of that is a big thing is access, especially if you're in committees like, you know, this one, uh, Senate Judiciary or stuff like that, or like Intel committees where you get like, and under NDA, you get like, or, you know, on top secret, whatever inside information. And that makes just people feel special. And, you know, uh, you know, the police people, I mean, I've, I've talked to in, in my work, I've talked to, uh, people, um, that have, you know, pure from the police, um, because obviously I do IT security and stuff and it's, it's interesting for me. I mean, it's interesting to talk to these people and to learn about how they do their job. I find that fascinating. And they also always try to convince me, right? They're like, okay, yeah, it's really bad for us if you write about certain things. Like, can't you just not write about these things in detail? Because then bad people, well, people will learn about them and use them for bad stuff. And, you know, yeah, that's an argument. And I guess this kind of thing just convinces people. It doesn't convince me. I'm like, you know, yeah, true. But, like, people also, people are falling prey to this. People are falling victim to this so they need to know how it works right it cuts both ways and i've always in this in this debate i've always been uh, for transparency and i i always think i don't i don't know why politicians are trying to make the job of the police easier um unlike many people that are protesting in the u.s i feel like uh the police is doing a valuable job of course, you know, they do things that I don't approve of, like everybody else. But, you know, they generally provide a, an, a very important service, a crucial service in our democratic states. Um, you know, we can talk about their methods and stuff like that, which, you know, I'm, I'm doing right here. But yeah, generally, I think that they, they do a good job. They do a valuable job, but it works. What they're doing works. We get people, um, you know, we, it's not like we can never catch these people. Right, they, they, we have news stories about them busting online marketplaces for drugs and child porn and trafficking rings and left and right. They know how to bust those. They can just, you know, they they insert themselves into the forums. They spy on people. They actually they don't they don't need to uh, backdoor encryption. I mean, maybe there's there's a story here I have on the docket because it kind of fits with this one, which I probably want to maybe want to talk about in the future, which is this Encro chat story which was like a company that apparently sold encrypted phones specially to criminals at least that's what the police says um and they busted the whole thing wide open a few weeks ago and they didn't attack the encryption at all like they didn't even try right they just did like their own back doors they just sent people malware i think and just got on their phones and you know, uh did the thing where you you know encrypt read the stuff before after it gets encrypted and stuff like that. they have ways to uh the police intelligence service they have ways to get this information and it's it works you know it it by and large it works and there's no reason to weaken encryption that that we need um, as as citizens, as private citizens, citizens who want to be private, um, we need this stuff. Companies need this need end-to-end encryption to protect trade secrets. Um, yeah, it's just to me, it's a it's it's a it's not really a mystery, but it 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 baffles me again and again that politicians 
are just doing this. I mean, if, if when Barr does it, it's his bloody job. But why are like senators going, we really need to change this law? One aspect is, of course, that Trump, um, like a lot of this got initiated because Trump is pissed off at Twitter. And, you know, I, I think actually personally, um, for valid reasons, um, I think what Twitter is doing to like Trump, tr Trump, Trump's tweets, Trump tweets, um, where they're like, fact check, fact check, um, that is not fair, right? They don't do that with other people. I mean, okay, Trump's the president of the United States, right? But I mean, it is obvious to anybody <laughs> that Twitter and the company and the company culture um, is on the opposite political spectrum of the current administration and that they don't like what they're doing and that they are focused on them, right? They're not fact-checking Bernie Sanders' tweets, right? And every politician says stuff that's misconstrued. You know, politicians... I would say lie, but you know, I've been critical of that in the past because you don't really, often you don't know that. They say things that we know not to be true or misconstrued. You know, that's at some levels the job of a politician. Um, and I just don't like, for example, what Twitter is doing there because they're doing it one-sided. If they just do it for everybody, that'd be okay. Well, it would be better. I personally think they shouldn't do it at all. You know, embrace the safe harbor and let people do whatever they want. It's not your fucking job. Your fucking job is to get the platform to work, right? Your fucking job is to make sure the platform doesn't go down. Um, you know, don't like I, you. Your fucking job is to, even though you're tr you're, you're tracking me like like hell, and you still can't serve me relevant ads right? That's your fucking job. Get that fixed. Get a fucking edit button for tweets, for God's sake. That's your fucking job. Your fucking job is not to fact check the president of the United States. People can do that for themselves. Or they can't. Doesn't matter. That's the job of the press then. And the New York Times does that enough. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just not... So at, at some point I can see where these people are coming from that are saying that's just not fair. Uh, but instead of, um, you know, they, they could have been another tech to attack this, right? Instead of saying, oh, they have too much protection under Section 230, uh, you know, we need to change that. The tech, tech would have maybe been, look, Twitter is actually editorializing the President of the United States. Maybe Section 230 doesn't apply to them anymore. Maybe threaten them with that. Just just an idea. It would be way less collateral damage. Um, this is just all... Anyway. Uh, but as we've seen, I think both sides of the political spectrum are at fault at this. Same in Germany. Um, don't know where you, we're listening from at the moment, but the chances are it's the same in your country. Um, unless you are in China, then the government is at fault for everything. <laughs> <laughs> or you're in Russia, where it's apparently the same, but we'll hear about that later. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I thought this uh, this this was interesting. Um, I think people should know that. I will keep an eye on how this story develops, of course. Um, and I hope you now have a primer and you know what's going on. And I hope you, um, if you have another opinion, you'll you'll contact me, um, Private Citizen Press, and uh, you know, tell me about it. 
But uh, before we get into the feedback, I, I have another topic I want to talk about. As uh, you know, said I'm uh, kind of alluded to at the top of the show. So this is uh, I'm sorry. We have to go back to um, coronavirus. So here, here comes the jingle. Again, thanks to the No Agenda podcast, I lifted that jingle of them. Uh, one of their producers produced it for them. And um, yeah, we we have to talk about the Corona um, topic here again, which is not something I wanted to do, but it got kind of prompted by a an episode of a German podcast called, or it got prompted directly by that. Um, there's a German podcast called Lokbuchnetzpolitik, and I talk about... Um, politics you know internet uh, civil rights internet politics things and on the most recent episode which was episode 353 a bit ahead of me here um <laughs> they talked about a um about uh, my coverage or the, in previous episodes even they talked about my coverage of the uh, german contact tracing app which i've also talked about on this podcast um but they specifically talked about um coverage on heiser online that i wrote and in their most recent episode they have a feedback from uh dirk kretschmer who is the guy from the tüv informationstechnik that i interviewed and i talked about this uh also on this podcast on uh this is episode 25 the garden episode uh, you might remember that I, I talked about you know the release of the uh the app and you know the recap a little bit from my story there and how it was tested and stuff like that and th so this uh mr Ketchma wrote them an email to you know they had talked about my coverage and had wanted some stuff about it and he wrote them an email and um said some things and i want to um it i don't want to okay i don't want to presume he meant to say this but the way the email was read obviously i don't have the text of the email i can only go by what they read out on their podcast um it made it sound a little bit like i didn't do my job properly with this story so i kind of had to refute that and I, today i wrote a blog post which is german but i put a link in the show notes in case you're german and in case you listen to Netz, uh, netzpolitik netzpolitik netzbuchlogpolitik i don't know yeah logbuch netzpolitik um in case you listen you know you can read it but i'm gonna just gonna say some things here that i want to get off my chest anyway um so the the problem, if you want to call it that way, with that story is so we're talking. This is a week uh, ahead of the release of the app, and I'm like, I've been researching this the app even like before SIP and Telecom did it. I mean, I've talked about this on this podcast, right? You know about this. I researched it. I looked at the source code. I looked at all these kind of things. Now I'm I'm sitting there. It's a week ahead of release. Uh, Heiser wants me to write about stuff. I want to write about stuff. And I'm I'm kind of looking to people I can talk to, and I talk to quite a lot of people, um, people you know that from all sides, people that did development and people that did testing. The problem was nobody wanted to talk to me on the record. They were all like, 
I can tell you these things, but you can't quote me and you can't even tell anybody that you talk to somebody from the company because I am not allowed to talk about this. This all has to go through PR people and, you know, I can tell you this, but please don't. So I got some valuable information. I just got nothing on the record. Um, I got flatly ignored uh, by some PR departments. Um, I wrote, for example, I wrote several times, I talked about this to the Robert Koch Institute and asked them very specific technical questions. They were like, you know, we'll get back to you on this. They haven't get, gotten back to me to this day. Um, some of the people were really busy because they were developing and testing. And they were like, I can't really, I can tell you a few quick things, but I really can't do an interview. I don't have time. I completely, I understand all of this. It's a bit frustrating if, if you're a technology reporter, but I understand it. Um, so then I um, get an email from an ex-colleague at Heisel who uh, was offered a, an, an interview with uh, this, uh, this person. Uh, Mr. Kretschmer. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. Can I can I do that? And they were like, yeah, um, we don't really want to do that. Um, turns out they had a, they talked to him later as well. Um, you know, but at th that point I didn't know. So I, I wrote, I wrote the TÜV and I wrote Mr. Kretschmer and I was like, can you, uh, can I, you know, can I talk to you about this? And he was like, yeah, sure. And so TÜV Informationstechnik, the, the company that did the pen testing, actually their PR department got all this going we we made a um we, we made an appointment to have a call and you know from the beginning i was completely clear this is all on the record i'm going to write about this in heiser online um and i would l love your input put on this and i i think in the into in the in the talk we had i specifically uh mentioned to him that you know that i have information but people are not talking on the record and that i'm really happy to talk to him and so this was monday this is like monday evening um so we have this talk i write everything down I do like notes and i basically um i didn't write the story then i basically wrote down the bits at in that monday evening i wrote down a lot of the bits well, basically everything I quote him on in the article, I wrote down already. I didn't compile the whole article, but I kind of knew what I was writing about. So I wrote like a, a skeleton article, basically, and, and already wrote down all the, um, um, everything I was going to quote him on, because I didn't know how long it would be till I could finish the story, and I didn't want to forget anything or misconstrue it or whatever, so I wrote all that. Um, and then uh, I send him, we, we had some email uh Afterwards, I think he sent me one email, one more email. Uh, the next day, I had to ask him some questions that he didn't know the answer to, and he sent me some some answers to that question and thanked me for the nice talking. As I said on the show previously, he was really candid and told me a lot of things that I found really interesting. And so I spent several days trying to contact the companies involved, uh, organizations involved, and get information. Um, you know the BSE, the Bundesamt für Sicherheit in der Inform Sicherheit in der Informationstechnik, and basically nobody was talking. Either they weren't answering me, or they were playing like you know press ping pong, where they're like, "Oh yeah, I need to refer you to your colleague, and refer you to a colleague, refer you to another colleague." Some some conversations dropped off. So I I tried. Uh, I tried to basically corroborate what this guy told me. Uh, I tried to corroborate it with the source code, but at the point where I was doing this, a lot of the stuff he had talked about wasn't actually in the public source code. Um, 
so after the story was finished, actually some people actually linked me to it. And I was like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd been looking for that, but it wasn't, wasn't online at the time. Um, but so I tried to, to get this corroborated and I did the research. Now, if you write to, you know, a PR person and it just takes time, it just takes, you know, a day or two, you have to give them some time to reply and then some, they, they bounce you around. And it just takes ages. Anyway, um, I was like, I, I have to finish the story to myself. I was like, you know, it's got to be finished this week. So on Friday, I was like, okay, I don't have any other information. I've corroborated some things off the record, but I have nobody else I can quote. And nobody is talking to me about this on the record. So I was like, but this is important. He's told me important stuff. I believe him. He's the main guy. He's in charge, right? He's He sounded plausible. Everything he told me was plausible. Um, I... I don't want to presume, but I had kind of a feeling why he told me the things he did. He t told me to, you know, he had, a, he had a reason for that. I felt, and um, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I, I don't know, but it kind of sounded to me like he was a bit annoyed with how things had happened. And um, so I, um, this is all, it all makes made sense. So on Friday I sat down in the, in the morning, I wrote my story. I finished that skeleton. I wrote a story. Um, and I quote him, and everything I quote is clearly attributed to him. And you can see in the story, there's just no other sources. It's him, right? But he's the main guy of a of an established IT security thing, you know, of TÜV. I talked about all of this in the in episode 25. Um, and that's all clearly marked in, in the article. And I stand by everything that's in there. Everything I quote him on, 100%, he told me like this. He said it like this. That's why I quoted him on it. And so basically the gist seems to be that in this email, uh, with not the readout at on Logbuch Netzpolitik, it kind of sounds like he says, well, that was kind of like the, 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 the viewpoint on, my, oh yeah, by the way. So on Friday, I'm finished with the story, like midday or whatever, or a bit later, I sent it to Heiser and then it didn't get published until Friday in the evening. Now that, I mean, it's a long time from Monday till Friday for an online news story. I get that. But I used that time because I wanted, I specifically wanted other sources, wanted to corroborate, wanted to give, give people the ability to, uh, chime in on this, to, to have the, their, their, I, you know, their ideas or their viewpoints on the record. And that's always something, you know, with online journalists, they're not, they always criticize you. You're too fast. You're not, you're not, you're not asking enough people. You don't give them enough time. All of this shit. And then you do it and it's, you know, people get pissed off anyway. <laughs> But so it's Friday, um, and it just, there was a miscommunication. There was a CMS issue with, with Heiser, which delayed the, uh, so it could have gone out early Friday afternoon, probably. It went out in the evening because part of that's my fault. Um, it's just a miscommunication thing that happened. And then also the, 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 the Friday was a bridge day in, uh, uh Lower Saxony, where Heise is. So, uh, so the Thursday had been a public holiday, and so many people take the Friday off as well. So, I, I think there were low, I don't know this, but I think that it felt like there were low on manpower. There weren't that many stories published. So, that could have been a factor anyway. Um, so, the story gets published on Friday, right? And then the, the email makes it sound like that they read out on uh, Logbook Netspolitik, makes it sound like, well, we had this interview on Monday, and then things change, and I didn't. Like, I didn't know that basically the presumption is I did this 
kind of what I think he's trying trying to say. He didn't know I was going to publish the story. Um, I had given nobody any uh, reason to think the contrary. Nobody. You know, I, I was like, I told him, I was like, I'm going to publish this story. It just took a while. It just happens. And so he's like, things change. And I had a different opinion by Friday when the story was published. And I talked about how they published like a... Um, uh, you know, TÜV published their own PR statement and said, said other things and stuff like that. But the thing is, yeah, maybe you could have told me, right? We had email contact. You could have told me that. Okay, he didn't because he, for some reason he thought I'm not going to publish the story. I don't know why you'd think a journalist would just drop a story. <laughs> Especially if they, if he told you you're the only one who's on the record for this. Um, but okay, Um but then also, that doesn't impinge on any. I actually, I did. That's actually a thing I didn't write in my uh, blog post because I, I don't know why I didn't. It's kind of not pertinent to the. I just wanted to lay some facts down so that people understand. But I mean, the thing is, all the things he told me are still true. Some of that was opinion. You know, where it was like, okay, I th he said he felt like they could have used more testing time, whatever. Um, but I didn't misquote him on anything. So I can, I can understand when you're like, I don't know how this article had come to pass. Completely understandable. I mean, I could have told the guys from Lokbuchnetzpolitik, you know, so it's uh, Tim Pridloff und, uh, und and uh, Linus Neumann. And I've actually... I had some conversations after the story was published with Linus um, because a colleague told me he was confused. So I, I tweeted him. I, I DM'd him on Twitter. I was like, okay, so is there anything wrong? You know, I basically explained how this all happened. Um, so I can understand if you're confused how the story came to pass, but or if if you think that i mean basically what 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 was in the story was his some facts on on security vulnerabilities they found and then his analysis of the testing process and him saying they could have used more time and um and all of that and you can agree with that or not but it was true at the point when he told me right how is like the facts aren't in dispute I, I don't understand why this is such a big thing. Well, I understand why it's probably bad for him. He probably told me some stuff that his superiors are not too happy with. But, you know, it's my job as a journalist. My my job's not to make friends. When somebody tells me something and it's plausible and it's it is it is important for the for the public to know this, I think it's important for the public to know this, then I'll write about it. Right? And I don't make friends along the way probably, but you know, that's not my that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> anyway, I just want to talk about that because I thought, you know, I talked about the, the actual episode on the, um, I talked about it in a previous episode on what actually happened there. And I'm, I'm just, frankly, I'm pissed off. Um, you know, I, I have a thick skin. I don't, so, you know, personal attacks don't fucking don't i don't care about them um it's a bit it's a bit galling when people kind of try to to insinuate that i didn't do my job correctly or i didn't have you know have the right journalistic principles or something because that's it's just not true and it's galling to me that 
that basically in a month, um, pretty much in a month, I've been attacked for having, um, having waited, basically having waited too long in getting a reply from a company uh, to a story and then also not having contacted a company for a story. And this is not the only place where this it's like this is a thing that is happening right now and it's actually happened both has happened at this for the same story and i'm like this is just, ah, this is just crap like either you, you can't have it both ways you can't say like oh you're an online journalist you're just publishing stuff too quickly and you're not giving people the chance to to reply and then somebody actually gives companies chances to reply tries to get information it takes a few days and then you're like oh the story is outdated when it was published like ah, that just pisses me off <laughs> But anyway, um, that's probably enough about that. It's probably way too much inside baseball. I don't know if you care about this at all. But I mean, I, really, I did a recent story on on journalism. And, you know, I feel like, you know, I talked to Mike about this stuff. And I feel like this is this is just maybe a peek behind the curtain that you could, could use. Um, that is helpful. And also, of course, I had to set some facts straight because I don't, I just, I just have to. I don't. I don't like it when. You know, this is this is my work. This is this is what I do for a living, and I'm really attached to it. I mean, I do this. I do this to earn money, but basically, I do it because I love doing it, and this is the reason why I do this podcast. This podcast doesn't pay for itself. You know, I, I love doing this shit, and so it it actually gets gets close to me when, uh, when when people are basically saying things that I, from my perspective aren't true. So I had to kind of set, set the records straight on that. But, um, I don't want to bore you further with the complications of my life. Let's talk about uh, feedback from other producers. So we have a bit of a, of a turf war going on here. Um, you may, uh, remember that we have an anonymous anonymous canadian producer who uh sent me some stuff on the you know boots on the ground report on the COVID 19 situation and then on the previous episode we had another uh, canadian producer chime in and criticize some of that stuff now our anonymous canadian producer who's from british columbia is back and says I was just listening to your latest podcast where Paul rebuked my statements regarding the ongoing uh, the goings on in Canada. For your comments regarding my previous information was exactly what I was trying to convey. As for my stating that people were being arrested in Ontario, you were 100% correct that I simply stated that people were getting fined. That's probably just a case of misunderstanding. Here's a link to a newspaper in Ontario with a picture of the ticket. So I've, I've put, he sent me some links. They're all in the show notes. Private citizen or press. I did, however, state that some of the easternmost provinces, not Ontario, had enabled police to enter homes and remove people. And this appears to be linked to this. So it is a link to a story. Provinces and the police are cracking down on cross-border travelers who break the COVID-19 rules. When it comes to 
to the firearms legislation, Paul is correct that it has been in and out of debate for years. The problem is that the party in power wants this and is a minority government, so they need opposition parties to back their bill or they cannot get it passed. Now that the Prime Minister has shut down Parliament, he was able to use an, quote, order in council, end quote, to bypass the need for support or a democratic vote in Parliament and simply sign this bill right into law. Now, I don't personally own a gun, but I really do not care either way on this one. I do have a military background, so I'm quite familiar with firearms. Here's a link to a news TV site that talks about it bypassing democracy. The above order in council is further muddled when you consider the can Canadian law regarding the government general declaring firearms prohibited. That's also a link you can check out in the show notes. You also seem to have a very good grasp, grasp of our previous firearms regulations. Yeah, I think it's just pretty much the same as in Australia. It's very comparable to Australia, so I have a good grasp on that. You are correct that you could not previously own an automatic weapon of any kind in Canada. I mean, it's the same in, in Germany, right? You can have all kinds of guns in Germany. Um, you have to be registered, and it's, it's you know, it's harder to get kind of a license for that than it is in many other places. Uh, but automatic weapons are weapons of war, and therefore outlawed. Um... The magazine size of weapons has also been restricted to 10 rounds for more years than I can remember, so this is not much of an issue either. They have now restricted anything that, quote, looks like a, quote, assault, assault rifle, including some airsoft rifles. Yeah, it seems to be the same as, you know, they tried to push it in the US. And as I said on the previous show, I think that's ridiculous. You know, there are things that are assault rifles. They use a specific type of cartridge. They're automatic weapons. Anything else is not an assault rifle. I don't care if it looks like an AK-47. If it shoots like a, you know, a, a hunting rifle, then it should be treated as such. Uh, the uh, They have also limited muzzle power, which will remove some of the larger rifles, such as those needed for buffalo hunting here. And they have also limited bore size, making all shotguns used for hunting fowl illegal. So this is pretty wide-reaching reg regulation for something that did not go through parliament. Yeah, this is something I... I mean... Either, like, you either have mus muzzle power and then you have a big rifle, or you have, like, an assault rifle. Like, you know... What is it? What's what's the what's the date? I mean, even big with big muscle power, yes, with a rifle like that, you can shoot one person really good. But then it's like kind of over, right? It's not really an indoors kind of thing. So if you're trying to prevent school shootings, I don't know. Of course, bore size with shotguns, yeah. You know, shotguns are are a pretty effective indoor weapon, I would say. You know, having shot one on a range, you know, they do kind of... They also... You know, if you play video games, you'd think like a shotgun's just a short range weapon, right? But when you actually do shoot one, they're, they're, they're very, very, very accurate on, on quite far... Um, quite far away. That surprised me. But anyway, yeah. So um, our anonymous listener producer um i i really i should try to call you guys producers with because that's what you are it's just like 370 episodes of linux, linux outlaws and saying listeners has just, just burned into my brain anyway he continues on paul or she don't want to presume on paul's last point that a business in British Columbia did not allow customers in if they wore a mask i'm not sure where he was headed with that one i feel that this is 
that his comment actually backs up what I said about the widely varying rules regarding COVID around here. While I did not see that article myself, it is completely in line with what I have been seeing myself to the point that I would not be surprised in the least. Once again, thank you for your great work and effort. I look forward to hearing from you every week, every episode. It's a pleasure to listen to, no matter the topics. Um, thank you and thanks for chiming in. I think this is... Um, really really cool i like that we have different different viewpoints um among the producers and that you voice that i think that's uh, that's good mika sent me a message via patreon another person where i'm not quite sure what gender they are but who cares i'd like to take the chance and write in about your last couple of episodes i really enjoyed number 28 with mike it was an interesting conversation however at times it was hard to follow you two chatting with just the audio the matter was pretty complex at times i have no idea how to fix this but i learned to appreciate the work you put into structuring things in the more regular episodes good work well that's kind of what i'm trying to do it's a very different to you know that episode was more like stuff we used to do on like outlaws where it's just like two people chatting so yes that is that is a change and i kind of aside from actually making a transcript of that and yeah don't come to me with automatic transcript services i know all about them i don't want to use them for reasons have you seen the output <laughs> um no uh so I don't know. Uh, it's just, I think it's just something we have to live with that. Those are like one, one off episodes. Um, I always label them interview in the tags up top. So you know what's going on. Um, even though if then, you know, the thing with Mike was, it, they're not really interviews, but that's just the label I, I used for them. Uh, Mika continues regarding episode 29. You explained how the police went and gathered data. The politician weeks ago explicitly mentioned to be off the table. Somehow in recent years, I got the feeling that in many parts of society, family, politics, media work, I get told stories that after a very short time or sim simple research just fall apart. I will stand away from calling this lies, but either I got a hell of a lot more critical recently or this just happening more often nowadays. Maybe that's just me, but I feel telling such shit does not cost you anything if you are let's say a politician politician or a journalist for me that is a constant breach of trust there to a point where i just feel utterly lost that you can so easily get away with this i really wonder if that's just me or if it's part of what makes you so angry about this too what do you think um well i know that with journalism well, at least in traditional broadcasting, it's always been that way. Um, in television, so the, when I first did some television stuff, um, I learned the saying, have this poly, uh, uh, radio or TV uh, journalists in Germany have this saying, um, they say, uh, das versendet sich, um, which means um, this will kind of get washed away in broadcasting. So they're, they're broadcasting so much and continuously and it's kind of ephemeral, you know, it's not really, now there's YouTube, whatever, but traditionally it was never recorded. And um, that means just if you make a mistake, you know, people will forget about it. And yeah, that it, this happens in print as well. Um, I'm not, so outraged about that so much like in print with my colleagues online what i'm outraged about is if if i make a mistake in a story it's not nice and i feel bad and i should feel bad um but i will always correct it and this is something you know that many uh, publications i i i like to write for you know specifically heiser and golem 
are very adamant about doing, um, transparently correcting the errors. So, you know, if you make a mistake, you change the thing in the story because you don't want the reader to be confused by, you know, having having something wrong in the story and then having a note saying, this is the correct thing. You change it to the correct thing in the story and then you have a little note at the bottom or wherever where you say, we changed this part because of this. And that's embarrassing for the journalist, but it should be embarrassing because you made a mistake. And it's not nice. It's not a nice thing when hundreds of thousands of people read that, that you made a mistake. But, you know, shit happens. Shit happens. Happens to everybody. And I, I never begrudged any journalist making a mistake. You know, sometimes it's funny, yes, if it's very egregious. But, you know, I don't begrudge them making mistakes. If they correct it in this way, I hate it. And, you know, big publication notorious about this. In Germany and in the UK, the BBC is notorious about this. They just change things and they just never meant, you know, New York Times does this all the time. I go, I read a story and then somebody, I, I, I tweet something and people are like, they didn't say that in the story, like two hours later or something. I go back to the story and they've changed it. And, you know, when you use RSS, you can actually see that because you have the, you have both versions of the RSS feed. You can actually see exactly what they changed. If you you know if you if you have an automatic pulling thing and it pulled it in between, um, or you know it pulled the version before the change and after the change, you can see, and it ah just I that that's the thing I hate. Um, I mean politicians will always do this. Politicians do this. Um, the problem is why aren't there any consequences? And we'll, we have somebody, uh, I think it's Fadi later on. We'll talk about the consequences. Anyway, um, thank you, Mika, for your uh, message. Very nice. Uh, Daniel Bos says, I'm probably a listener from China that you saw in the logs. I took Linux Outlaws with me when I moved to Beijing from New, uh, from New York, from the Netherlands, uh, a bit over a decade ago and have been following work ever since. That's cool. Nice, nice. Hello to Beijing. That's awesome. Um, I am pretty sure you're not the only listener from China unless you're kind of reloading the page more than a thousand times each day and you're changing your IP address a lot. So um, be, uh, I don't know, reassured in the fact that there are surprisingly many people in China visiting uh, the private citizen, which I think is cool. Uh, Fadi Mansour writes... With regards to episode 29, I think your position about the data privacy laws and how they are being applied to is totally justified. This is kind of the same thing that uh, Mika was talking about. Especially in the context of a democracy where the target is to refine the laws and prevent, quote, the scope creep, where you start with a good intentioned law and then you have all these those interesting side effects, quote, trying to avoid being too conspiracy minded conspiracy theory reminded here. It's very important to exercise the available options to make sure that these democracies remain as such. But on the other hand, the, the pragmatic pragmatist, I don't know, in me also keep in mind that laws would be ignored, could be ignored and there, and here Datensparsamkeit becomes important. Um, yes, um, to me, of course, there's always the argument, you know, they, you have to put your name down on the restaurant, but, you know, in Germany, for example, I've, you know, go to a restaurant, I have to put my name, address, and telephone number down. But, you know, we all have ID cards in Germany, but they're not allowed to check that. They're not allowed to ask my ID card. Only police is allowed to do that. Um, and government officials. They're not government officials, so I can just lie, and they have no way to verify. 
So I can just could just lie. And that is actually, you know, and then that is uh, can be an important underground, very aim to misbehave uh, private citizen way of getting around this stuff. Uh, but what I'm what I'm doing here when I do an episode is I would, we cannot only do that. We actually need to call them out on it, right? We have to. We can't just go. Oh, it doesn't matter what laws they pass if they're not enforceable. Uh, we will just ignore them. No, we need to call them out on laws that are bullshit, and we need to get them changed. So that that is the the the, the you know the thing I'm doing with this podcast. And while I acknowledge the other possibility, that's not something I want to want to push as the uh, most important thing here jumping to a different topic says Fadi. the feedback from martin raised some interesting points not data privacy specific though for whatever reason i find conspiracy theories and direction towards them quite interesting and sometimes jokingly i would call myself a conspiracy theorist although this this is only due to my willingness to entertain different ideas and not take facts in terms of absolute black and whites. It's really sad how this conspiracy theory labels used to tag information that someone somewhere would like others to avoid. Completely agree with you there, Fadi. And to go back to Martin's comment, what he probably wanted to say is that unlike religion, fantasists, to use his term, are arguing against undisputable facts. It might be the case in some edge or really far it might be the case in some edge and really far-fetched ones. But the core issue is for me, what is undisputable? You gave the Trump-Ukraine issue and it would, and I would bet that every site has their own version of the undisputed facts. They completely have. Thanks again for the thought-provoking topics and always stay free and misbehave. Thank you for your um, email there, Fadi. Um, I feel like, yeah, I mean, the, the problem with the religion, is to go quickly back to that, it's just... Uh, um, it doesn't. It you know if you if you apply the scientific method, it doesn't really doesn't really matter how far fetched something is. You know, it's the the question is what's your what's your evidence for that? And far fetched is just a matter of perspective, right? So decades ago, people would have rightly argued that black holes are far fetched. They're a crazy idea. Um, and now we have all this supporting, you know, not really, I mean, we haven't really seen a black hole, but, you know, we have all this, this supporting evidence that suggests, I mean, that basically make it the only explanation we have right now. So it's like the far-fetched them, you know, after decades just becomes accepted. You know, it's the, it's the DNA double helix. I mean, that's a, pretty far-fetched idea but it seems to be like the, the the closest model i think it seems to pretty much explain what's going on so sometimes things just seem far-fetched because you're from a certain direction right and the other problem is just like my problem with people that that argue generally in favor of religion they're not arguing with the scientific method they're not thinking scientifically usually when they're scientists even they specifically say well this is religion i have to suspend my my scientist brain right and i've never understood that i could never do that in my brain but at least if they do that they kind of don't muddle their their scientific thinking with their religious thinking which would be a problem in their scientific work um but it's like you know the 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 if you think about something with a scientific mindset 
you don't go, this is how it is, right? That you don't go, um, yeah, God exists and now I'm going to, maybe I'm going to try to prove it. Although that's usually they don't even say that. They don't say I'm going to try to, it's just God exists. And if you don't believe that, then you're lost, right? You don't, don't, don't believe that. That's not how a scientist thinks. And that's not how a scientist argues anything. You know, I could come up with a theory and I'm like, everybody ex thinks I'm crazy, right? But I'm a scientist, right? I've, I've like, I have good reasons for this theory and I'm going to try to lay down my reasons. So, you know, Galileo, they made him repent. They, they, they were like, you're crazy, man. The earth isn't round. But he didn't say, no, 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 the earth isn't round. The earth is round. And if you don't believe that, you're just plainly wrong and you're lost. He didn't say that. He tried to convince people with arguments why the earth was round. That's 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 just two completely different sides of of arguing, right? And and I think the original listener, um, I think Martin might have been, yeah, I think it was maybe Martin um, said that you know it's more like the realm of philosophy. But you know, I come from I did humanities in university, and you do philosophy there, but the way you learn philosophy there is very much also with the scientific mindset. You approach philosophy, even though you're talking about things that can't be proven, right? That are not natural sciences and you can't measure anything. You can't shoot electrons at something and get something back and then figure something out. You prove, uh, you approach this philosophy way with a scientific mindset where you're trying to reason it out. You don't go, this is the way it is because some book said so and that's it. And if you, it's my way or the highway, you know, that's so anyway, that's my, that was my thing about that. But let's not get too far in the weeds on that. Barry Williams, I told you, we have a lot of uh, producers uh, chiming in this episode. Barry, which I, which I find is great. I love that. Barry Williams from Oz says, um, he loves it when I reference Terry Pratchett. Uh, he says he actually laughed out loud when I mentioned uh, the exclamation mark thing. You know, I was talking, I think the previous episode, I was talking about a listener, a producer who wrote in using too many exc exclamation marks. Um, I'm happy I made you laugh. Terry Pratchett is amazing and everybody should read more Terry Pratchett. Also, if you're into philosophy and uh, and gods, small gods is an amazing book uh, where religion is concerned. It's a very smart book. Yevgeny Kuznetsov, well, at the end, I'll, I'll try to pronounce that better. Anyway, uh, Yevgeny uh, wrote us again uh, from Russia. Yevgeny says, I must confess, don't I don't think too highly of, GDP, of the GDPR and similar regulations. I think they do more harm than good. And I think the whole right-to-be-forgotten concept is outright insane. I mean, ask Barbara Streisand. He links to the Wikipedia article, The Streisand Effect. Link is also in the show notes. It doesn't work that way. If you expose something you don't want people to become aware of, there's no way to unexpose it anyway. And if that's something you don't care whether people become aware of or not, the whole point is moot. Well, I the GDPR, that's, if that's effective or not, that's maybe a topic for a whole episode. Um, on the right to be forgotten, I generally agree with you. I don't think it works. I don't think it's a good um, legal framework. But let me explain where that comes from. It's a very European thing, and this is even a very German thing. Um, this doesn't. This is not meant to protect. I 
I think I think this re- legislation stems from a fact where people are not trying to protect. Okay, I'm a journalist, or whatever. The press finds out something about somebody that's damning but true. I mean, the, the law could be used to to you know hide that, of course. I think in certain ways, but um, that's not the intent. The intent is this is very much an anti-yellow press law, pretty much. You know, um, the press just publishing things uh, that are just hearsay or rumors or whatever, and it's it's like that thing I talked about uh, at some point with with Jürgen Kachelmann, who um, is like a you know the German weather guy who was um, sued, uh, you know, uh, charged and arrested uh, for having uh, attacked, uh, you know, sexually molested and attacked his wife, girlfriend, girlfriend, I think, um, but was then completely exonerated in court. And basically, the the with the court basically decide they can't decide. Basically, they don't know if she did it to herself. It's, it's also plausible that she did it to herself. Now, the problem with something like this is the mayor accusation or the mayor report, like in the press, that you've been arrested ruins your your thing for life, right? And when it then later comes out that it isn't true, this right to be forgotten can be used to remove that stuff from the internet. Now as we can argue how effective that is. I don't think it's effective at all. I don't think it's how it works. Completely agree with you there. But I, it, this is this comes from fighting against stuff like the yellow press and stuff like that. Um, I personally think that it's a bad way to do it. I would rather fight against the yellow press and my colleagues who are just publishing things that, you know, that are not corroborated um, or, you know, that are not, they are basically just hearsay. I mean, there's enough stories written that are like that, and I I really despise that. But hey, let's let's go on with what uh, Evgeny says. Um, and I don't really care what information corporations have about me anyway. The only case where I can realistically fathom a corporation have it, have advantage when they know something about me is that I'd rather they didn't. Well, uh, sorry the only case where i can realistically fathom a corporation have advantage when they know something about me that i'd rather they didn't is insurance if they want more money from me because they know i eat unhealthy from time to time that's an issue agree with you there other than that what can a corporation do with that information about me or my family sell me a product i didn't really need well it's up to me to make make right purchase decisions and i'm not going to blame my unfortunate purchase decisions on ads google knows a lot about me i used to have gmail for my main inbox for decades they knew literally everything about my life do i think that's a problem yes why only only because they can be subpoenaed by the government to give that information up and he talks about we was gonna follow on about the government well that's not the only reason because you're, you're thinking about subpoena but we, you know you have to think also about intelligence services where maybe they circumvent the current legal system and possibly you know very possibly do that and you know have backdoors into google and read all your email you don't want that to happen and that is the crux with the corporations and that's the that's you know a big goal of the gdpr i think around the back way kind of it's like if you limit what corporations can do with your data and how long they can save that you also limit access of intelligence services to this data or hackers that hack their service um and that's that's the big important thing about this whole kind of thing it's not about the corporation it's just about the data being somewhere 
Um, Yevgeny continues, and the government? Oh yes, that's dangerous. Corporations are about money, which is relatively harmless. The government is about power. Power, power of me personally with the police to tell me what to do and money too, of course, with the taxman telling me how much I owe. That's a real threat here, not some subtle influence on my purchasing decision. These people can put me in jail. They can execute me. Well, they can't do that here, which at least not legally, which I'm kind of happy for, but okay, I'm not in Russia. They can take all my money. They can do anything they please. And I have no way to retort, nothing to fight back with short of mass protest. And for that, I need to come in big numbers or they're just throwing me in jail individually. If you think I sound tinfoil hatty, no, I don't, uh, or otherwise paint too dark a picture, keep in mind, I'm Russian. Always kept that in mind. There's history here and not a single good reason to assume the government's benevolence on any level of any aspect. The government is bad and it's out to get me, period. Better safe than sorry. I think we should listen to Yevgeny here um, because we might live in countries where it's not that way. Um, you know, in the in the Federal Republic, I have no historical precedence to assume in this state, you know, uh, to assume that the government's out to get me, to assume any of this. But of course, governments can change. We know that in Germany too. And I think we need to listen to people that live, live in countries where this kind of stuff is more pressing and more dangerous because I think we need to guard against this as well. So better safe than sorry, as Evgeny says. I agree with you there. So yes, I agree with you. That's Evgeny talking again. The government getting the information is much worse than companies. But as I said, most it's often the same thing. If companies have it, the government government has it. And we should resist that in any way we can. The problem is, and you've pointed that out, where's the public outcry? Where indeed? Or are we, me and you, listeners of the show, a geeky minority with tinfoil hats and weird ideas of no use to anyone? I think we're a minority, yes. I mean, this podcast is picking up a lot more listeners, but we're definitely a min minority. I think the problem is that people are just, you know, uh, they listen to, they turn on the news and it goes... <coughs> Warning, coronavirus, we're all gonna die, we're all gonna die. Oh, be afraid. Oh, no, no, it's, uh, it's the Black Lives Matter. The police is out to get you. They're all gonna get you. That's, that's what's on the news, right? They, it just gets overridden by all this shit. So, yeah, I think we're in the minority. Uh, oh, and you've asked on an early episode to provide pronunciation hints. He actually sends me IPA, which is great. In case you're going to mention this piece of feedback, which I'm doing, my name is, okay, I'm going to give my best to do this here. Yevgeny, Yev, Yevgeny, Yevgeny, Guds, Yevgeny Gudznetsov, Yevgeny Gudznetsov, or maybe even Yevgeny Kuznetsov in some of the varieties. That is as best as I can do with the, you know, keep in mind I can I can read IPA, but I have problems with my, you know, my Russian is obviously non-existent. And uh, past girlfriends might have told me that it's it's not as bad as Sean Connery's in The Hunt for Red October, but it's getting up there. <laughs> so uh, thanks, Sen. Thanks, Yevgeny. Uh, for uh for writing in once again uh very thoughtful things and you know i i always uh i i can't really i can't express how, how important it is to me to hear from people that are in russia that are in china 
that have different experiences. Because, you know, we're sitting here, we're stewing in our own news and our own local local shit. And it's 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 important to open your mind. You know, people are not like, oh, coronavirus, nobody's going to fly anymore and it's bad for climate change at all. So good riddance. Let's get rid of all the airplanes. And I'm sitting here, oh my God. Like that was the, you know, I was just thinking in the past few decades that there was actually hope for people. That the earth was growing, you know, people are growing closer together because you could fly into other countries, you could talk to other people. You know, that that we need to keep that up. We need to keep that contact up. Otherwise, it's going to be fucking renaissance again. We're going to be at war again. Because that always happens if you don't know the other people, right? You're like, oh, the Russian, the Russians is, the Russians are like this, blah, 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 blah. No, if you actually get to talk to Russians, you see that, you know, it's like the Sting song. Uh, I hope the Russians love their children too. It's yeah, they do. You know, they're also people. And if you get to know other people, it's just better for everybody. Anyway, that's why I love if you write in. Um, as always, private citizen the press contact details are in there. Um, I do this podcast, as I said previously, because I love doing it. But uh, especially with my uh, with the gearbox of my motorcycle having disintegrated into dust. It's just going to be very expensive repair. I am happy to everybody who just helps out and helps me uh, with this podcast. You can do that. You can become a patron on Patreon, and there's a link in the show notes. It's a button, but don't be aware, don't be scared. There's no JavaScript. I just took a screenshot of the button. <laughs> it's a plain link. It doesn't spy on you. And still, if you don't want to do that because you want to be anonymous or semi-anonymous or whatever, you don't like Patreon, you don't want to commit to a monthly thing, uh, producers at fab.industries, um, you can PayPal money to that as well, producers at fab.industries. And you're all producers, you write in, um, you know, you chip in. I mean, this is the value for value model. Think what this show is worth to you and, um, you know, Send send that to me, and and it, it does help me out. It really helps to keep things afloat, and of course, also, <laughs> uh, I'm paying taxes on everything. So you're helping the German economy as well. So Angela Merkel thanks you, private uh, personally. I don't know. I don't think she does, but yeah, um, the, the 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 German economy as a whole. Um, you you're helping propping us up. No, that cars are a thing of the past or whatever. <laughs> anyway uh if you if you chipped in thank you a lot and i'd like to thank everybody so beginning with uh raul kabazali who um made the theme song for this podcast which i use i mean this is something i actually paid him to use that but i still like to mention him um i have to mention bitemark bitemark.co.uk a great uk cloud hosting company who provides the servers that send you the audio files when you want to download them um I need that to at least get some money from this. If I had to pay for the bandwidth, it it all be helpful. So I have to use a service where it's like really crap. And I I like I like people saying I want the podcast and the file file coming down quickly. So we thank Bandmark for that. And then I like to thank everybody who's uh, who's either a patron, uh, which I appreciate a lot of course or you know has sent money via paypal and those amazing people are niall donegan michael mullen jensen jonathan m Hathi, george walther dave rashid alimani butter beans 
Mark Holland, Steve Oath, Shelby Kruver, Vlad, Fadi Mansour, Jackie Plage, one i one one g Matt Gellerman, Joe Poser, Philip Klostermann, IKN, Dirk Didi, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Dave Amrish, David Potter, Mika, whoa, and there's uh, some geese flying information just in front of my window. That was amazing. Oh god, now that they completely uh, derailed me. I think. Uh, I was up to Mika, right? So David Potter, Mika, Vitautas Sadowskis, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Martin, Jonathan Edwards, Barry Williams, Sylvia Vulcan, and SJ. Thanks to all of you. I appreciate what you're doing a lot and it helps me going. And uh, my Mutoguzi thanks you too. Speaking of that, um, I don't really don't know what's what's going on now. If we're going, we're probably still going on the tour. I might have to just rent a motorbike, which is going to be even more expensive. Uh, I don't know, but I'll be probably in Norway um, in August, so I'll I'll make a plan, and uh, there there will be a short hiatus. I mean, I've said from the beginning, I'm kind of committed to publishing an episode, pushing an episode out every Wednesday, and I I want to do that. But I said from the beginning that you know this. Sometimes I'll just take holidays and there have to be some weeks where I take completely take off uh, time off from doing this podcast. Uh, but I will I will let you know um, beforehand and I will not leave you hanging with my current workload. It's, I, you know, I had plans to maybe make up for that and do more episodes beforehand or later and, you know, and then make up in volume or something. But I, I don't know if I can do that with my current workload i'm just off my off my nut here with work so we'll see but i'll i'll let you know i'll let you know early early on um right now my life is completely unplannable with all this shit and gearboxes falling apart and uh, <sighs> coronavirus articles and, and all this other crap going on move to plan yeah anyway don't want to complain i do what i love for a living and i'll just i'll just go away for a while and play some Red Dead Redemption and uh, watch Helen Wheels and uh, Anson Mount. Man, what a guy. Love that guy. Great, great show. Anyway, um, see you all soon. Probably next week. Uh, unless something else explodes into dust. <laughs> um, see you then. Thanks for listening. Have a, have a great time and uh, always remember aim to misbehave. That's what we do here. Can't let the government get away with everything. Aim to misbehave. <laughs>